We're here, this church exists solely for the purpose of preaching the gospel. That means all kinds of different things. And everything we do within the church, from counseling to giving to uh, benevolence, all those things is to help strengthen people so that we can do what we're here to do. But the church is all of us. It's not this building. It's not me, just me. It's all of us. So we're all called to preach the gospel. So we've been learning about that, teaching about that, and I told you that we were praying and trusting God that He would give us practical tools to help us be able to go do that and not just sit here and pray, God, what am I supposed to do, but bring ideas to us. And, and the purpose for my hope last Sunday was to share about the, the preaching of the gospel in terms of salvation, what Jesus came to do, and that's what those videos are designed to do. But if you look in the gospel, Jesus didn't just preach it with words. He also did it with his deeds, very practical things. He ministered to people's needs. And you get in the body of Christ uh, kind of a, a, a divi- not a division, but you get two different camps. You get one that they're evangelists. They want to go out and just take tracks and beat people over the head with the gospel and preach the gospel. We learn that's not quite right. But there are others that's called the social gospel. They get out there and they want to meet people's needs, but they're not so concerned with the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus did both. Jesus did both. That's what the balance is that Pastor John talked, Angelina talked about on Wednesday night. So what we've done today is we're bringing here uh, two of the local missions that we support that are out there working in the practical area of people's lives where they have needs. Now we're doing this for two reasons. The primary reason is not so that you could work to raise money for them. We support them, and obviously if you want to support them privately, that's wonderful. They're, they have information out there. But the main reason is to whet our appetites and see the different possibilities that are available for us to actually get involved in meet, touching people's lives and meeting people's needs. So we're gonna, I'm going to, in a moment, bring up these two representatives. Um, and you've, they've both been here before. And, and, and we're gonna, the focus of it is primarily how they got involved and how you can get involved, whether it's in this, these ministries or, or in others. So the, the, the two that we have here is, uh, is Julie Payne from Bethany Services Family, Safe Families Division and then Sean Carew from the Providence Rescue Mission. Come on up. This is Julie Payne from Bethany Services. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Why don't you take a seat here? Either one. You're first because you get first pick. Wow. <laughs> you were here back, was it this last summer? Yeah, it's early fall maybe. Early fall, man, mm-hmm. it all blends together. I know. <laughs> and um, you got to share the vision of safe families, and we had quite a response. We did. So we're glad to have you here this morning. Thank you. Praise God. We thought about maybe interviewing them separately, and I realized, you know what, it'd be good to get them up here together, and just there may even be an interaction between the two of them. Because you never, when you get God's people together, especially those that are responding to God's call, we're just trusting the whole, we've never done this before. So I'm playing Johnny Carson this morning, kind of, or uh, whatever, whoever the latest guy is. And this is different for me also. But we really, I really believe this was God, and we're trusting the Holy Spirit. So you've met Julie. Oh, yeah. Yes. In, the, in, the, uh, in the lobby. Okay. And it's, an, get, it's an honor to be on stage with you, because we refer back and forth, especially yeah. with Grace's oh, okay. house. So yeah. it's really well, I'll just privileged. let you go. <laughs> yeah, you can go sit down, John. We got this, bro. We're good. We're good, right? <laughs> Uh, let me ask you a question because um, you're very much involved in, in this ministry. But I want to ask each of you, 
personally how you got involved. I don't mean necessarily mm. in that particular organization, but in this line of ministry. What was it that drew you, drew you in? Ladies first? Sure. Definitely ladies first. <laughs> you know, I, I um, was thinking about that and the other day, and it's just so many different experiences, really all the way going back to when I was a kid. I grew up in a family um, with two parents who loved the Lord and loved people. And so we had people, kids up through adults, that were often in our home that we knew well and that were strangers, um, very similar to, say, families, for sometimes just a meal or uh, sometimes days, weeks, months. And people would stay in our spare Mm. bedroom Mm. or on the couch. And my parents lived and breathed biblical hospitality and demonstrated that to me and my two siblings. And so that had a really dramatic impact on me growing up. And then, um, so I pursued an education in social work through graduate school and missions. And I really wasn't sure if God was going to send me overseas or do home missions. And um, kept me home, and I started working as a social worker really... um, From the very beginning, all of my work has been with vulnerable kids and families in crisis. Got married, had three kids who are now teenagers, and um, lived through that. (laughs) And and then, actually, when right before my first son was born, 19 years ago, we uh, were invited to help plant a church in Massachusetts. And through that experience, I really... um, came to believe very passionately in the role of the local church in caring for our communities and our world. So um, truly being the voice of Christ um, to those around us and all over our world um, and being the hands and feet of Christ and the role of the church to do that. We're the change agents, not the government, not other Mm, people, right? Yeah. So when I was, um, I had taken off a number of years of work to raise my kids, and when I was invited to work for Bethany, um, I started to learn about Safe Families, and which is a partnership ministry between Bethany branches all over the country and local churches like yours, where we, as you learned from the video, it's truly the church extending the support to local families in the community. And I got it right away. I mean, it hit a chord so strong in me because it's how I grew up. And I, I, I saw what an impact it made on the children and uh, young men and women who came into our home when I was growing up. And maybe even more so how much that transformed me and then my husband and our children because we followed suit. And we've had little Justin, whose mom has cancer, and Mikey and David, whose mom has struggled with mental health issues, and Sarah, young pregnant woman who um, grew up in the foster care system and just didn't have anybody that breathes any kind of goodness into her life. And um, so I, I believe at my core in um, the mission that we're a part of um, and count it blessed to be a part of it. Yeah. I'm really struck... I'm really struck by what I know here is a a contrast, but I'll I'll focus on your background. Can you hear me? It's turned on. Put another quarter in. 
<laughs> so am I, don't worry. They're working, Jerry. They're working on it, Jerry. Um, it's, it's so powerful as sitting here, maybe as parents, to realize the greatest impact you can have on your children isn't what you say. That's right. It's what you do. Yeah. It's the way you live your lives. Yeah. And this is an incredible example of how a vision got transferred from your parents to you I'm sure they said things to you, but you watched. Right. You, you were in that atmosphere, yeah. and it got impressed on you, and now you're turning around and doing the same thing, and that will get passed from generation to generation. Just as curses can go from generation to generations, blessings go from generation to generation. And as parents, we can choose which direction that's going to go. Second thing is that I see, and, and I know you'll get into this a little bit, God the heart of God. God loves all of us, but God's heart especially goes to those that can't take care of themselves. Amen. The weak and the infirm, uh, children, uh, uh, people that have been, been beaten up by life and by the devil and by situations. Mm. Um, and God's heart goes out to them, but although His heart goes out to them, His hands can't. We're His hands. Amen. And, uh, and, his, and our, our hands communicate His heart. So, thank you. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit how you got involved in rescue work. Totally opposite. Yep. <laughs> um, I grew up in a family um, going to church, not relationship with Christ. Um, very early in my life, I had nothing to do with Jesus. Hated God. Hardcore atheist. Um, early in my life. Eighth grade, ninth grade, decided I made a decision. I basically said to God, I said, God, I'll tell you what. You don't have anything to do with me. I won't have anything to do with you. Incredibly foolish statement. Not long after, drugs, alcohol became a major part of my life. It carried through into my life until right before I got saved. Um, what they call the functioning alcoholic. Went to high school, went to college. I was actually in investment banking, vice president of municipal trading for a brokerage firm back in my hometown of Pittsburgh. Cars, money, drugs, all the stuff, right? Really, really empty inside and really, really angry. Uh, to a point back in 1989 where I almost ended my life, I was actually in process of committing suicide when um, crazy thing with God, I said this, thing right in the middle of it I said God if you exist help me right so it was the weirdest thing because as soon as I said that the desire to hurt myself was lifted but it put me in a real quandary okay because being a hardcore atheist I now couldn't deny the existence of God so everything I had based myself on crumbled like sand under my feet right but I didn't know Christ. So if I would have died in that interim time, I would have died sober, but I'd gone to hell. Thank God an old friend I bumped into started to minister to me, and they invited me to church. And I hated church. I really hated church. I thought y'all were hypocrites. <laughs> I was the hypocrite. But at the time, I thought to myself, it'll be a very, very cold, cold day in a very, very hot place before I ever go to church. A couple of days after that 
I was talking to God because I wanted to know him. He said, go to church. I said, really? He says, go to church. I said, oh, all right. Went to church. Thank God the gospel's preached. One of the things I love about Faith Christian Center, we've been friends and partners in ministry for years, almost since we came here to start the mission, is the gospel's preached. The gospel changes lives. Don't be, don't be deceived. <clears throat> Miracles happen in direct response to somebody telling somebody about Jesus. Right. It's not our duty. It's not something that God says, if you do this, you're a good person, you're a bad person. It's participating actively with Jesus in a miracle process. Right. right? So that happened to me. I go to the church. I'm standing there thinking, this is stupid. The pastor starts preaching. I get convicted right to the soles of my shoes. I give my life to Christ. What I think was the second service I went there. I honestly saw Christ in my mind as I was getting saved. I was in this filthy robe. Filthy robe. Smelt horribly. And Jesus was there with a fresh white robe. And he took the old one off. And he put the new one on me. And he hugged me. And he said, you'll never be who you were. You're going to be who I created you to be. Yeah, powerful, right? Give God the glory. So through that, so through that, that church I got saved in, they had a street ministry on Friday nights into Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And they went to these horrible places, like the West End of Providence. But they were like a SWAT team for Jesus. They'd get out of the van, and these guys would be like, Hey, Juan, hey, hey, John, you need Jesus. You need to get saved. I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? This is crazy. And I'm in the back of the van looking at people going, would you like another piece of fruit? And I thought to myself, Billy Graham has no worries about me taking his job, right? But that was the start. And God made me realize that these were my friends. You know, when the Bible says to you, go and tell your friends and family the miracle God's done for you. These were it. I, this is who I should have been. I, I'm no different than them. I just had a family that let me live in their basement while I was going crazy. And so through that, I got transferred upstate to New York, started working in missions, uh, and, and God called me to it. And the thing that drives me more than anything else, I've got to be honest with you, and we'll get into it later on, is, is, is watching miracles. I'm a hands-on guy. I'm not a theoretical person. I like to be in the muck and mire. That's kind of like where, probably because it's just part of who I am. But seeing Jesus touch lives, human trafficking, abused children. 86% of the people we work with have been sexually or physically abused in their lifetime. Right? And like we have no idea what that does to a human spirit. What that does to their soul. And to see them come in and they think they're unlovable. And they feel so much shame and guilt. But to see Jesus touch that life, I've been at it now for 25 years. I wouldn't change it. There's nothing I would change. I wouldn't even have changed all the pain I went through because Christ used that to make me who I am. So it's it's very personal to me. It's incredibly personal. It's a privilege. And um, we'll talk more about your involvement. But So that was the core of what drove me. And drives me today. I'll say one thing, and this is the truth. You should have warned me. You know better. You know better. That's all I'm going to say. You know better. I got nothing there. But I remember when I first got saved and I was going on the van. And I was a very excitable person. If you get around me today, I think John, people, I'm pretty, I'm like kind of like 
hyped up like if I'm on caffeine, but I'm really not. It's really the Holy Ghost. And I remember when I first got saved and I was going on, and a guy looked at me and says, when you mature in Jesus, you'll calm down. Right? And I remember immediately praying and saying, Jesus, don't ever let that come true. Right? And I have to tell you, if you know me, I'm as excited today for what Jesus is doing as when he saved a pitiful wretch like me back in January of 1990. So that's the somewhat shortened version, John. Somewhat. There are people, maybe even here this morning, Christians that have been saved for years maybe, and their life is dull. They're, they're maybe struggling with discouragement and depression, um, uh, and th- those are legitimate, legitimate things. Amen. But I've had a conviction. I mean, I, you get around you, and I don't know you well enough, but when you've been here, I sense the same thing. I sense passion. I sense yeah. life. And I know you go through some ups and downs because I've been through some of them with you. <laughs> but there's always a drive, a passion, yeah. because there's a purpose to what you do. Amen. So, so God made us for a purpose. Amen. And you've each stepped into the specifics of your purpose, at least for now. And my conviction has always been, and this is what I've tried to preach, when you step into that purpose, the life of God begins to go off in you. Amen. And I've shared before, you know, I was a lawyer for 23 years. I enjoyed it. But the moment I stepped into a pulpit, I knew I was doing what I was made to do. There was a life there. There was an excitement there. There was a passion there. And and if you're looking for that passion, that life, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. If you don't have that passion in your life, then somewhere you're not connected with what you were made to do. Because when you're beginning to flow with what you're made to do, the li- literally the life of God, it's a different level of life. It's called the Zoe life of God. That life is in you. Jesus said there will be rivers of living water flowing out of you. And that's the life and the power of God. But it doesn't happen just sitting in church. Amen. It happens when you get connected to the need. It's like the power in that light socket doesn't do anything until it gets near that plug. And sometimes if you get too close, it'll jump. Could I, could I say one thing on that, John? I, I was reading um, one of my devotionals in my Bible time. is Oswell Chambers, uh, My Utmost for His Highest Common Book. Yesterday, it really, really impacted me. Saturdays are my best day because we, we usually work about seven days a week um, because ministries that way. Saturdays, usually in the morning, are the quieter day. And I was stay, spending time with that. And, and he was speaking on the idea that not only were we all created to do a specific ministry, ministry being the will of our Father, but that by doing that ministry, by being obedient to that call, what it does is it opens us up and it changes us. So to experience the excitement and the joy, and I don't know if this is for you too, the excitement and the joy for me is the after effect of watching what Jesus is doing. But if I don't focus in on the ministry that I was created to do, and then act in obedience out of love, and be willing to say to God, whatever, whatever you want to take, whatever you want to do, I release. And that's really hard in America. We have struggles releasing because we've been taught we acquire. But the reality of it is, is when we release, it's ugly. I'm not going to joke with you. John knows. John knows. 
There's times I've called John and I, I don't know how we're going to keep the doors open sometimes because we press and John has been a blessing. This church has been a blessing. But if you don't release, then you never get to experience when God moves and something happens. And I, something happened to me the other day where a last couple of weeks in, in FCC was part of it. People just found me laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> right. And, and so I don't, I'm, you know. I don't get into all the details, but it was definitely holy laughter. And I was having the time of my life. But if I never would have released, I never would have experienced. And, and that's what we crave. So I want to encourage you, find your ministry. With Bethany services, all day long. All day long. The mission, obviously, I'm a fan. But wherever it is, you have to find out what it is. And then release everything you have. I'm talking children. I'm talking money. I'm talking anything you were thinking you were going to do. And say, God, I'm not going to think anymore. I'm going to listen. And then I'm going to be a child of action. And I want to encourage you. You will not be dull. It will touch depression. It will touch loneliness. It will fill you with purpose. It will drive you to heights you never thought you would go to. Through Jesus, and I want—I think you're spot on. But I, I wanted to say, I think it's very, very important, mm-hmm. and, and because that's the life of a Christian. That Zoe, Zoe love that you talk yeah. about, Pastor. Really, absolutely. You may have to jump in because we're used to talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. jump in. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I put don't, you in please. the middle on purpose. So Ask her questions to... first because it's—it's <laughs> it's really, it's ugly. It really is, right? <laughs> I like to listen. To I know, but yeah, I know. Go, please. It, when you were talking, it made me think of a book I read a long time ago by I think it was Leonard Sweet. It was called A Cup of Coffee at the Soul Cafe. And he's a Christian author, and he was talking of really the core of what I got from the book was. Um, making sure that we have margin in our lives to take the time, to release that time. It's God's time. Amen. So that we don't miss all those opportunities, all those God experiences that he provides <clears throat> for us in our just little daily lives. So even with the person at the checkout counter at the grocery yeah. store or That's somebody right. that calls on the phone, that we are... We are Releasing our time to God so that we're mindful and ready to hear Amen. Him and experience Amen. Him in all those simple, you know, um, daily things that we go go through. And um, I was thinking of what you're talking about when I uh, when we had um, Sarah living with us, who's um, pregnant woman. She had really been through hell her mm. life. Mm. You know, the whole mm. gamut of everything bad you can imagine happening to a young woman had happened to her. And uh, she was staying in our guest room, and um, which is kind of right off, like right in the center of everything in our house, right off the kitchen. And so mm. she, and she's just a beautiful person, and would really f- be with me all day long if she could. She just was just thrived on relationship and craved it so much. Mm. So she had been with us for probably a month, and. Um, and she needed me a lot. And I was getting a little tired. Because <laughs> I work all day with people Amen. in crisis. And Amen. I was coming home. And it was really, I was, I like a feeling. And I'll never forget this one day. I walked in and she heard me walk in the door. It was 9 o'clock. I hadn't seen my family all day. My daughter, I just wanted, she at that time was 14. I just wanted to see her and put her to bed. And I walk in the door and there is Sarah. And she said, oh, Julie, do you have some time to talk? And I just remember that panic, like that, like I had nothing left in me. And I said, 
hold on, I got to go to the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom and I said, Lord, please help me. <laughs> and I think of it often because it is really a reminder for us to always stop and just ask for his right. grace because right. he right. will give us whatever we need, whatever right. words, right? Yeah, tell him. And, um, I just felt this peace, and he, literally, I walked. I didn't even know what I was going to say, but I walked out of the bathroom and I said, um, "Sarah, I, I would love to talk to you. I'm just going to put Tori in bed, and um, actually, we're going to watch the show first together that she had wanted me to sit down and watch with her. And then we're going to put her to bed. You're welcome to join us, and I'll be down here in a little bit." So, put Tori to bed. Came down, and um, our conversation that night was incredible. And it was, and God kept me awake. He, well, you know, Amen. he, he, yeah. it all was him. And I, I would have missed it if I was focused on not releasing my time mm-hmm. and, and to him and, and trusting Amen. him to do that. Yeah. And so it's just beautiful when we don't do it a lot of time. <laughs> it's beautiful when we do do it because he's so faithful, really, to, to teach us and grow I'm thinking of the time Jesus was out and there was a crowd of about 20,000 people. And uh, the disciples came to him and says, they've run out of food. We, we don't have enough. You didn't have enough energy, enough time, and uh, expecting that he would send them away. Um, and he said, no, you feed them. Yeah. And they look at him and says, how can we do it? We've only got a little boy's lunch. And the key thing, he says, bring it to me. That's right. Yeah. Release it to me. Yeah. And then if you read the story, he didn't divide it up. They brought it to him. He blessed it, what they brought to him. He gave it back to them, and as they gave it away, it multiplied. And they ended up with far more at the end than they had at the beginning. And that applies to anything that God has given you. If you give it back to Him when it doesn't look like it's enough, whether it's energy, time, resources, whatever it is, you bring it back to Him, and He blesses it, and then He will give it back to you to give away. And as you give it away, it, it multiplies in whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's learning to live your life. And this is a challenge for me, too, because I'm very structured in my thinking. Learning to live your life open for him to do what he wants to do through you. Amen. I remember years ago, Lafayette here did a whole series. And one of the nights, he ta- the whole series was based on what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9. And the last night, he says, you realize every one of those things was an interruption in his day. Really? Every miracle was an interruption this day. And my wife is, is good at this. I'll be in stores or in checkout counters, and I go out, and she's still talking to the clerk. And she's just making a connection with them. It's just sometimes just a little connection with them. Yeah. So, As you were sharing your stories uh, earlier, um, what struck me is as you were raised in your home where your parents are bringing people in that um, some of us might not feel comfortable in our home. Um, and, and, and yet, they did that. Not only bring them in their home, but with your, their children there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you have people you're dealing with, Sean, that are not what we might look at as like us or safe. So there's a, what struck me is that in order to step out where needs are, there's a risk that comes to our mind that can sometimes hold us back. Could you share a little with us you know, how overcoming that, what the benefit of pressing, whatever, whatever's on your heart about that. I'm, I'm going to let ladies go first. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't yeah. on the questions we gave you. So yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I guess the first thing is that um, 
you know, it's funny, I didn't think about that as my, growing up, my parents having that experience, but I'm sure they did. But they led with, um, they led with faith. And so we prayed um, as a family often. Um, they always taught us that my mother left everything unlocked, cars unlocked, house unlocked, <laughs> everything. And that they just taught, lived a life, life of grace um, and said that this is all, all that we have is God's. And it's by God's grace that we have these things. If somebody needs something, they can take it. <laughs> That's kind of how I grew up. So I think they just felt very confidently that if God was going to lead somebody to our home, I mean, you know, my parents were wise in their interpersonal interactions right. with people, but right. I think they just felt like that they had to follow and do what God was calling them to do. Um, people ask me that question a lot with... Um, if they're interested in being a host family for uh, a child, they'll say, well, what about their parent? Um, you know, what, are, are you sure, like, are they going to know where I live? Or um, what about the people that they know? Or certainly if somebody's an adult, say a pregnant young woman, um, there are, it's a very real mm-hmm. concern, and it's a good question to ask. Um, so we... Um, what I tell those volunteers is that, so first of all, Safe Families is really a uh, ministry that's offering grace-filled relationships. And so we start with um, believing the best in people, and we start with we love because Jesus loved us, and we are all the same. So we are all filthy rags, and so he, in his grace, extends that to us. We don't deserve it. And we are to extend it to others, whether or not they deserve it or not, or what we know or we don't know. So that's the bottom line. And then as far as other things, we do, um, you know, we, we try professionally to do as much safety checking and um, use all of our assessment skills and clinical skills to make sure that if we would ever have somebody go into a host home, that that's a good fit for everybody the host family plus the person that's going to be hosted there. So we try to use our wisest judgment, but it really, at the end of the day, it's that we're extending grace because he extended grace to us, and that's we have to believe that Jesus, what he said is true, and that he will transform. He is able to transform and bring hope into any situation, and he is our great protector. Um, I, that's great. I love that. Thank you. That's 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 a really beautiful. That's that's very cool. Um, being in the being in where the mission is, um, we're in a very challenging part of our community. Um, like I said, um, human trafficking is rampant. Um, prostitution. We've seen a dramatic increase right in front of our building within a three-block radius over the last year. It ebbs and flows. It's back where we are now, um, drugs, alcohol, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, all part of who we deal with. But one of the things that I've learned and and we really share at the mission is there's really, in our mind, three types of people that we invite into the mission every day. Um, Some people come to the mission because they're saved and the mission is kind of their church because we do uh, a gospel-based chapel service every night, seven days a week. And so everybody comes to chapel. If you're going to the mission, you're going to chapel. It's, it's, it's non-negotiable um, because I, our belief is, is 
I could give, I could give you filet mignon and um, lobster tail because you were hungry physically, but if we don't offer you the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the Holy Spirit to move in your life, we don't really love you. Because at the end of the day, death is a very big reality for us of who we deal with. And the folks that come into our arena have a, are at a much higher risk of death than yeah. most folks. Not that you don't have it in churches or other places, but it's just because of the demographic. And so I really believe in searching the word of God that we openly invite three types of people into our, into our uh, ministry every day. There's those that are saved. There's those that are demonically oppressed, and there's those that are demonically possessed. And we don't like, to, again, if you leave the American sphere and you get to know people, ministries and missionaries in different parts of the world, those are very, very common. Americans are a little bit skittish about the demonic. You know, really, we don't like to talk about it, but we're the most prevalent society that's being bombarded with demonic spirits. You know, and we need to own that. I believe, and I, and I believe that if you can't see that, then you can't fight your enemy with the power that Christ has given you. And, the, and we have that authority in Jesus Christ, and that's to me where the miracles come from. I was sharing with John, um, and, and I, I preach at a lot of churches and speak at a lot of churches. As weird as this is, this is my home church, but you rarely see me. I've had people say, do you, do you still go there? And I'm like, yes, but I'm in a lot of churches right now. It took me years to get John to understand. Honestly, I love you guys, but I'm at different churches doing this. That's what I do. And, and John is very gracious with me about it. But the reality of it is, is we have to use what Christ gave us and take authority with the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat the demonic. Okay, the, the Bible tells us that Demons have no effect, really, until they're inside a body. You see that with the legion of demons when in the tombs. And that's still real today. It's very, very real when you come down into the mission field. Okay, Nobody wants to be an alcoholic. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. Nobody wants to be a prostitute. Nobody wants to be an abuser of their children. Nobody ever woke up and said, you know, if I could just be a drug addict prostitute, my life would be great on career day when they went to school. Nobody intended for that, to, for that to happen to them. And sometimes we look at them and say, well, you're just a mess. And there before the grace of God go I, right? So if we see that and if we acknowledge that in our lives and we say, you know what, God, you did a miracle to me. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I was no good. I mean, you know, some people have a better story than mine or a worse story than mine. End of the day, we're all going to hell. Unless you've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, unless somebody was praying for you, unless somebody stepped in and told you the truth of the gospel with boldness, right? And, 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 and no matter how you do it, each place is different. I, I know Bethany Center and that relationship building, what they're doing, it's, it's, the same end, it's, it's the same end. We're just in the gut a little bit more. But you see, you see power, you see miracles. I, uh, can, can I expand on what we talked about? Is that okay before church? I was at, we worked the other day, we were waiting for uh, a grandmother that had taken her heroin addicted daughter back into her house with her children, and it was crazy, and she didn't know what to do, and my wife and I were going to counsel her, uh, somebody was bringing her in, and we were running late, there's all sorts of things happening, 
and they went out to take a tour of the mission while I was doing something. And all of a sudden, the Lord, I was paying bills, which I hate to do, but I was paying them. And uh, uh, um, the Lord, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, go outside right now. And, and I've been around the, the mission field long enough to know when the Holy Spirit says that, you don't ask why. It's, it's kind of like when he's like, get out now. I ran outside, and just as I ran outside, one of my staff, there was a, there was a little, uh, a smaller Hispanic man that's on my staff, Lewis, who loves the Lord. He came through the mission. He, he was an alcoholic, and, he was, he, and he's now been through our program, and, and he works for me, and he's a great evangelistic young man. And, uh, uh, and, and he was escorting this person off the property because they were, caused, they were getting aggressive towards our staff and people there. And it was all fine as I was coming, but as soon as he stepped off the mission property, the guy came back like this, and he was, gonna, he was coming at Luis. And the Lord said, get in front of that. And I said, thank you. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, but, but I'd been there before. And I jumped in, and he was come at him. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, step down. You have no authority here. And his, and his fist was like this. I said, back off the property in the name of Jesus. You have no authority here, demon. And, and he put his hand down, and he backed up, and he came again. I said, you have no authority. Be gone. Be gone. And as he backed off the man, it was just like the man with the legion of demons. It was that moment of clarity. And, and he said, I'm, I'm trying to get on the program. I don't want to be like this. Right? And I said, I said, we love you, but you can't be smacking people. And we tried to help him, and we're trying to help him. But my point was, is we read about that authority. You may see, tele, you may see evangelists come up and talk about authority. I know John's talking about authority. You, you listen to my sister over here talking about that authority to take people in. It's not for missionaries or pastors or, 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 or sisters and brothers called to wonderful Christian ministries like Bethany Center. We don't tap what Christ already put in us. And you want that. It's not the experience. It's the realization that you are protected. When you're about your father's business, you have no fear. Because I was just reading it this morning. In John, Jesus says right before he leaves the supper to go to his death, he says, the things I've done. Greater will you do, just ask. Well, you can't ask unless you're in the position of going, geez, God, I need your help here. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. You have to ask, but you've got to be in. And you see miracles. And, it, and, and it's scary. I don't know about you, but I, I'd love to tell you what a strong man I am. I'm a very weak man. But it's the power of Christ seeing him work every day. And he wants to release that in you. It's not us. He wants it released into you. And you will experience things you've never experienced before. Amen? As you're both sharing, I'm realizing that the church in America has bought an idea that's not in the gospel. Amen. And that's that to, to, to serve Christ means you're safe. That's right. That's right. You're, you're spot on, John. Spot on, Pastor. That one of the goals is, you know, I've got to be safe. If I'm safe, my, everything, my family's safe and I'm well taken care of, then I can do God's work. You don't find that Mm-mm. in the gospel. He'll, no. he'll watch over you, protect you, but, but 
if you have, uh, we were talking about priorities. We're learning about priorities here at the beginning of this year. What's first things first? And, and in too many of our minds, and I'm talking for me too, because we're comfortable, we are safe. So we begin to treasure that safety and, and, and that I have to use my faith when I'm safe. But there's no, nothing about going into all the world and preaching the gospel that says you're going to be safe. In fact, there are brothers and sisters right now in other parts of the world that are literally risking their lives to bring the gospel to people that don't even want to hear it. You know? But when, you're, when, you, when you step across that line and you're willing to let that go and trust God, when you're willing to get out of the boat, the safety Amen. of the boat, Amen. and you're willing to step out on Jesus' word, come... You'll experience things. Peter experienced, as I've said before, when they do the roll call of people that have walked on water in heaven, it won't take long to answer it. <laughs> because most people stay in the boat. That's right. Peter may have sunk, but he got out of the boat. Amen. He was willing to take the risk. Amen. And so you've, we've got to understand, if we don't face that, then the devil will get you cornered in your home watching TV all the time, saying, you know, I'm frustrated. Why is things not working in my life? I want us to come to church. We get stirred up. I want to serve God. But it's that fear to overcome that fear. And that fear is a God in our lives. We've been learning that first commandment is you shall have no other gods. Fear right. can be a God if you allow that to control what you will do or not do. So that if, because fear is controlling what you will do, then God's not in control of that area. Could I speak just yeah. one more thing on that? Yep. You said that because it really prompted me, and it's, and it's a daily thing for me. My wife always says, fear is an irrational thought, right? But if you, if you couple that with the idea that if you look in the Word of God, fear is identified as a spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's a spirit that is said is not of God, right? So if you let that think through, and if you think to yourself how many times a spirit of fear has held you back, you start to realize in those terms that yet you have the authority over that spirit in the name of Jesus, but you have to speak the word of God over your life. So you can't sit there and say, well, God, I'm afraid, help me. He's already helped you. He says, you need to take authority and say, spirit, you have no authority of me in the name of Jesus Christ. Be gone. I'm going to be about my father's business. And that's the start of empowerment. That's right that we already have as born again, as a born again child of the king. If we let fear, just we have to own what we have to own. If you let fear control, if you can be honest enough to say, I'm letting fear control me, you can't blame God. You can't look and and you can't look at God and say, well, God, why am I unfulfilled? You're unfulfilled or I'm unfulfilled if I let that spirit have authority over me when I have the authority to bind that throw it away from me and step out because once you take control of the spirit of fear over your life, you'll be amazed at the epiphanies you'll have from God. Oh yeah. Amen. And I, I don't mean to be jumping, but that's, that's a daily thing for me. That's a daily thing for me. Fear. You don't become less fearful as you're in the mission field. You become more using the power of God, but fear comes at you every day because you're about your father's business. The devil hates you. I mean, let's be real. The devil hates you. And if you do what God's calling you to do, the devil hates you more. He doesn't know what you're doing. But he knows that Christ has great plans for you. And if he can keep you bound in fear, he can see countless people be sent to hell. Right? And so I, I, I just want to encourage you. I didn't mean to no, go there, but I, I just, this is you know. For you to share. We, in fact, we have somebody in our church. I don't know if he's here this morning. 
Jack Turquetta. Yep. Who teaches down at the mission. Yes, he does. Nighttime. And I, we have recorded on, on we're not going to show it today because it was too long. We have a testimony of his of how he had to overcome his timidity and fear to go down and to preach on what God did. And he's faithful. Yes. God yeah. love him. Oh, yeah. God now, love him. We've talked about obstacles to overcome. But there's got to be some kind of reward other than in heaven. There's got to be some kind of Amen. blessing that comes out, out of giving of yourself into this. Could you share a little bit of that? Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, the word also says that perfect love casts out all fear. Amen. And that's, that's really, like that. right? That is where you that is where you really do experience the real blessing um you're blessed in loving and so many of us i'm sure can think of experiences right where that has happened and so um you know you're being faithful by loving others and god will bless you um literally today and forever in eternity um I was just thinking of uh, I was uh, one of our staff, um, Donna, who will be doing the training here for any volunteers in a few weeks. She was telling me a story about she was visiting with um, one of our host families who's hosting a, a young woman who's pregnant and um, who just really, this family is incredible. They um, have a little bitty house and two kids and um, they kind of, shifted stuff around to make room for this young woman and um, just limited resources but their church has just wrapped support around them and helped equip them to be able to care for her and they really have a beautiful relationship with her she the woman hosted loves them and they love her but there are definite challenges right so because she didn't grow up the same way that they grew up she grew up pretty much abandoned and co- mm. with that comes a whole lot of baggage and yes, different ways does. different perspectives and so they've developed this sweet relationship with challenge <laughs> and so um it was donna was talking to the um, host mom who was just venting on the phone like i just got i'm so frustrated and kind of went through and vented and you know apologizing to donna for venting with her and she said no donna said don't sweat yet i'm laid on like, let me hear it and um through that, Donna said to the host mom, she goes, you don't really like con- confrontation very much, do you? And she said, no, I don't. <laughs> and Don- Donna said, I think God is going to teach you some real fruits in this. So let's think about baby steps, because I think you might find that you're able to continue to love and confront at the same time and even though it might be really uncomfortable and so anyways long story short they um the woman did talk to the young woman that was living with them donna went out the next day and she could just see how that relationship was preserved and how god blessed this host mom by really stepping out of her comfort zone taking a little baby step in order to continue to be able to offer that grace-filled relationship because if she wasn't willing to do that then that was going to really impair their relationship. Mm. And so the blessing is that we, it often um, teaches us how to, how to um, think about things differently or how to love people differently, which enriches us and enriches those people around mm. us, right? Um, so I see that every day. Mm-hmm. Every, really. Amen. Yeah. Amen. What time service end? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Miracles are some of the greatest privileges to see. And, um, you know, we've seen so many people come to Christ. And 
we've seen their lives changed and uh, we've seen the challenges that goes on with it. But I'm thinking one of the things that happened recently, which was really exciting to me, was um, we run a, the largest prison ministry in Rhode Island. Um, it's the Learning to Live Initiative. And it is a system where we train volunteers to go into every part of the ACI in Rhode Island from minimum to maximum. And we teach biblical life skill processes to them. And the prison system has given us their blessing to preach the gospel. It was everything we do, you have, we'll partner with anybody if they let us preach the gospel. If they won't let us preach the gospel, we won't partner with you because it's, it's core for us. And so the ACI, we, we've had their senior staff down. It's reduced incidences in the jail. And while all that's exciting, it's exciting to me because it's volunteers and we're very volunteer-centric. We only have one staff person, paid staff, that handles this. It's all the classes are run by volunteers. And as that's exciting, the miracle to me was, was uh, about a year ago, I was at a church over in Massachusetts. I was asked to preach. I was offered to come in and preach as a guest uh, preacher. And as I was preaching, um, they came to me afterwards and they said, this person's going to call you. He's from Nigeria. And he came to visit for the first service. And they had four services, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And he came back every service to hear you preach. And my first thought was, he must be really desperate and bored. And, but I said, why is he going to call me? He says he has a heart for prisoners in Nigeria. And the prison system in Nigeria is different than the United States prison system. In Nigeria, if they think you've done something wrong, they'll put you in prison. And you can be there for a while until they try you or whatever they're going to do. And so he came to me and his passion was for that. And the Lord said, connect him with Tony, who runs our prison ministry. And Tony trained him to do the Learning to Live initiative. He went back to Nigeria. He got permission from the prison that they could teach this. And we Skype training to Nigeria for this. And now, and the prisoners in Nigeria are much younger where he is. They're young men in their early 20s to mid-20s. And we're teaching them how to handle their emotions and their life based on the word of God versus their flesh. And so they Skype me this picture of about, I wish we, I couldn't update things because we're not that technical, but there was about 12 people in a room in Nigeria being taught by Tony. He's on the screen behind them. And they're now in that prison teaching our learning to live initiative. And I thought to myself, my God, you're so good. We're international. <laughs> and we supply all the books. Like, so when you, your donations, we're paying, buying their books. We sent the computers. We're doing the training. And so you, as a partner with us, are part of that. And literally to think God took a little mission in Rhode Island and brought the teaching over to Nigeria and that there's people being reached by that. If that doesn't give you like bumps on your arm, probably need to get checked for a spiritual pulse. You might be flatlining. So you guys are part of that. I'd say that recently is probably one of the most powerful things that I've seen. I think one of the most exciting things and I see it every time Corinne walks in here, is to see a life changed. Yes. 
Uh, we love it when the homeless folks contact me on Sunday night at about 10 o'clock yeah. because it's there. But it's okay, you know, if, if we're going to have it up, have it up for everybody. Um, but we would invite you to come and tour the mission. If you've never been to the mission, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because through personally and through your church, you've been partnering with us critically. Faith Christian Center is one of the top three supporters of the rescue mission and our whole donor base. So if you've never come down and experienced it firsthand, I think it's important to encourage you to do that because you're responsible for what's going on there. Um, And then you'll see what God calls you to do. Um, Our dental ministry, just very quickly, happened because I was speaking here years ago and at the, I was standing outside, and somebody that used to be at this church said, what can I do with the mission? I said, I have no idea. I don't know what you can do with the mission. Only God does. I said, come on down. They came down, and they said, God's burned, and they were dentists. Her and her husband were dentists. They started the dental ministry that restores people's mouths. They raised $150,000 on their own in equipment and money, started it. It's still going strong today. If I would have limited them, I would have said, well, you can serve dinner. That's why I don't tell people, because I think serve dinner, go to the clothing room. You come and you release and see what God's going to do. But it can start, I'll be out with Jim, we'll be there with our stuff. And you can ask questions, but you can come and see, feel it, taste it, smell it, touch it. It's the great thing about local missions. Instead of just writing a check, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to get to uh, Nigeria. You can actually just come to Cranston Street or Warwick or one of the other places, and touch it, feel it, taste it firsthand, and let God move on your life. I think the key word, and Julie, you see both have said this, do something. Amen. Amen. Do something. That's right. right. Go into all the world requires doing something. And then as you go, God can redirect you. You'll get a sense, well, this just isn't for me. And, but don't limit what God can do. Amen. And I'll end with this story, and then there's one more thing I want to do quickly. When I was saved in that large law firm in Boston, and we went to a nice, clean, cleaned-up, you know, denominational church, and everybody was nice and well-dressed. And I remember coming home on a Sunday after church, and I was a deacon there, and the Lord spoke to me. He says, I want you to go down to Kingston House today because they feed the homeless. And I, I said... No. <laughs> I don't belong down there. That's not comfortable. And it not only wouldn't go away, it just got stronger. It, was, it became an issue of obedience. And I'll never forget telling my wife, I've got to go. I've, I've got to do this. And she kind of looked at me. And I said, I just know I have to go do this. I remember trembling all the way down there. What am I getting myself into? But it was a matter of just going in, in obedience. And I got down there, and there were other people from churches down there, my, nobody from our church. I was down there, and I got involved in it. It broke that fear. And then for, for the rest of the time I was at that law firm, Tuesdays and Thursdays for lunchtime, that's where I spent my lunch. Yes. And I can still remember, so it, it impacted my life. And I am convinced I would not be doing what I'm doing today Amen. if I didn't step out into that area. We've only got a few minutes left. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for uh, having us. We both have a table out there with information.